Our passage this morning is actually about a dad who was watching his son die. And when you think about that for a moment, put yourself as that father. He's watching his son die. Um, even though this dad probably had the financial resources to provide the best medical care, his son continued to get worse. Uh, this passage shows us the extreme measures that someone will go through for something or someone whom they love. I mean, we will do anything, right? Um, losing a child is every parent's worst nightmare. And this dad was trying to make sure that that nightmare did not become a reality. So with that, let's turn to John chapter 4 and pick up where we left off last week. Let's start in verse 43. John chapter 4, verse 43. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter. Verse 43, John writes, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen that all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an, an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come to Judea, from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray together. Uh, God, you are so incredibly gracious to give us life. Lord, today we ask that you would help us to trust you by faith, not by sight. May we not need to see signs, wonders, miracles in order to believe what you are doing. May we trust you at your word. Help us to cling to you in times of uncertainty. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you were here last week, we saw where Jesus he had, the text said he had to go to Samaria. Jesus wanted his disciples and us today to know that the gospel transcends all race, all gender, culture, uh, socioeconomics. The gospel is for all people at all times in all places. So Jesus went to Samaria, a place that would have been uncomfortable for the Jews. And yet while he was in Samaria, the Samaritans received him showed him hospitality, and they began to claim that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And this is not what they were expecting when they went there. They were expecting maybe a big fight, a throwdown. But they walk into a worship service. That's how our passage ended last week. 
Now we see in verse 43 that after two days, he departs from Samaria and is heading back to Galilee where John gives us some commentary. John writes, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So we've already seen this. Back in chapter 1, we heard Nathaniel say, can anything good come from Nazareth? See, Nazareth was a town in the region of Galilee, so Jesus would be, he would be a Galilean. So why doesn't Jesus just stay in Samaria? You know, he's being worshipped. People love him. He's the savior of the world. Why wouldn't he just stay in Samaria? Jesus came so that the world may have life and worship him. We saw that in the prologue in chapter 1. He is receiving authentic worship from these Samaritans, and yet he leaves that place and is now heading back to a place, as John describes here, to a, you know, his, his home region where he will be rejected. I mean, who does that? Who leaves when things are going great? You know what I mean? Like, things are going great. Like, why would you leave that to go to an awful situation? You know, I love talking to pastors um, and just seeing how they're doing and, and you know, praying for them. It's, it's, it's funny to me how very few times, if ever, have I ever, have I ever heard of a pastor saying, yeah, I feel like God's calling me to leave. And they go to a worse situation than where they are. It's funny how God always calls them to a bigger church, better paying church, better situation. But here Jesus, he's leaving authentic worship. And he's going back to a place where they would reject him. Why wouldn't you just stay and soak it up? You know you only have a few years left to live. He knows that the cross is right around the corner. So why not just stay and embrace the worship that you so rightly deserve? Let me read verse 44 again, and let's look at John's transition in verse 45. Verse 44, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Well, this doesn't sound like they're rejecting him. So what's going on? The Galileans, they welcome him, just like the Samaritans did. The Samaritans welcome him. But notice why the Galileans welcome him. Was it because they believed he was the savior of the world like the Samaritans? They welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. There you have it. Jesus, the entertainer, the Jews liked signs. They wanted to see Jesus put on a good show. They didn't have authentic faith. Their faith was in what they could see. Well, Jesus was willing to come back to Galilee so that these Galileans, these Jews, could see authentic, blind faith, no gimmicks, no signs, just a man who trusted Jesus at his word. And this man, much like the Samaritan woman, would radically change how Jesus wanted the Jews to understand the kingdom of God. In verse 46, Jesus comes again to Canaan, Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. 
The reference to the water and to wine is reminding the reader of the first sign. That's where the first sign happened back in John chapter 2. So this links the first sign at Cana now to the second sign, which is also at Cana. Jesus is coming back to where he attended a wedding. And while in Cana, he meets a dad who is trying to avoid going to a funeral. We're told that at Capernaum, there was this official whose son was ill. This official most likely was a man who served King Herod. He served in this official role in Capernaum. That would have been his region that he would um, oversee. He would have been a really important, powerful man in Capernaum, probably even a Gentile. We learn that his son was ill, nearing death. This man had been given incredible power, but in this situation, he was powerless. He had no authority over the sickness. And much like the Samaritan woman, this official's name remains anonymous. We don't know his name. We don't know who he is other than what he's just doing. He's, he's an official. And if this man was a Gentile, then you can see like this progression of Jesus' outreach and how John is connecting these accounts. In John chapters 1 and 2, Jesus comes first to the Jews And then in chapter 3, Jesus has this one-on-one encounter with a Jew of all Jews, Nicodemus. Then in chapter 4, last week, Jesus encounters a non-Jew, half-Jew from Samaria, who calls him Savior of the world. Now he is encountering a man, probably a Gentile, who demonstrates authentic faith in Jesus. It's almost like the instructions left for disciples in Acts chapter 8 or Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it's following the same order that John is narrating these, uh, these encounters. Acts 1, 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In chapter 2, Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Passover. That's where he overturned the table. Chapter 3, he went to the wilderness of Judea. It's where disciples of John, they were kind of bothered that Jesus' disciples were, you know, becoming larger. It's a greater group than John's group of disciples. Chapter 4, he went to Samaria with a woman. And now if this man is a Gentile, then we have someone representing the nations. We were told that this official was stationed At Capernaum, Capernaum was a town um, northern side of the Sea of Galilee. So just kind of northwest, you have Capernaum. This is where Peter lived. This is one of the three towns where Jesus spent most of his public ministry. Capernaum was about 15, 20 miles away from Cana. Um, So Capernaum would have been above the Sea of Galilee. Cana would have been just west, about 15, 20 miles away so it would have been something like, um, for us, Huntington to like Milton, Hurricane-ish kind of area. Uh, if you would take out your iPhone and do the distance, it would take about six and a half hours to walk from here to Milton, Hurricane. Okay? Um, some of you, I don't know, maybe you've done that before. You can confirm that. Um, now, obviously, the text doesn't say this man walked from Capernaum to Cana. For all we know, he, he could have ridden a horse. Um, Riding a horse would have obviously been faster, but my iPhone doesn't have a little horse button that I can press and see how long it would take to ride a horse from Huntington to Milton. 
I'm guessing it would take you less than six and a half hours. Um, unless you're me and hate horse. I don't like riding on a horse. I would have to like just walk with the horse, drag the horse. It would take me much longer. This man was probably married. He and his wife had watched the health of their child continue to decline. And we don't know any details from this passage about the sickness other than the official felt that the situation was so severe that his son was going to die. The official hears about this man, Jesus, who can turn water into wine. He hears that this same Jesus is now at Cana, not too far away. And so the most logical decision in this man's mind is, I have to go. I have to go to Jesus. And I find it really interesting that he doesn't just send his servants. I mean, he's a really important man. We see later in the text he has servants. Why didn't he just send his servants and instruct Jesus to come to Capernaum? Maybe he thought his position, you know, that he's an important man, maybe he needs to go himself. And so this is a man who typically tells people what to do, and they do it. And now he is humbling himself to come underneath another man's authority and beg him for help. I think there's something for us to learn from this man's desperation. So oftentimes when we need something, when we're in need, when we need help, we don't first go to Jesus, do we? At least not at first. We, we, We will go to a friend. We will go post on social media. We will go to a habit We will go to a food. We will go to a lot of things before we go to Jesus. And to be fair, we don't know much about this man. He he may have done the same thing. Maybe this illness has been lasting for months, years. And now in desperation, he finally goes to Jesus. This official is willing to travel six to seven hours to Cana to see Jesus. And Jesus may not even be there. Or Jesus may be there, but rejects the request to heal his son. There was no guarantee that Jesus was going to intervene into his situation, but he did not care. It was worth the risk. Do you see the measure that we go through for something or someone whom we love? Parents, you know this. You will do anything. I know we have people in our church who who drive to Cincinnati, drive to Columbus for health care for their children. And I'm sure you would drive or fly to California if you needed to. You love them. You want the best for them. And you will do whatever it takes to make sure that they are healthy. When your child is sick, money is no object. But it doesn't seem like this man's wealth, nor his power, nor his influence have been able to change his situation. His son is dying, and he cannot use his authority to stop it. In verse 47, the man finally arrives at Cana. You imagine that trip. I'm sure he's like rehearsing, almost like the prodigal son. You remember when the prodigal son's returning back to his father, how he had been rehearsing his speech over and over? Like, when I see my dad, I'm finally going to say this. I'm wondering if that's what he's doing. On his way to Cana, this is what I'm going to tell him. If I get to see him, I'm going to say this to him. Well, he, he comes to him in verse 47, and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, you see language like come down. Jesus isn't standing up on some platform, like preaching. He's not saying, Jesus, 
come down. He's saying come down because Cana is at a higher elevation than Capernaum. So that's why he's asking him to come down. Jesus says to him in verse 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Galileans, they want signs. They, they, they want miracles. And if we're honest, you and I are not much different. We love signs. For us to want God to do a miracle, it doesn't take a working of the Holy Spirit. Lost people beg God to do signs all the time. You know, God, give me a job. You know, God, help me score a touchdown. Uh, give me a relationship. Take away this illness. Lord, help me win the lottery. Just think of all the great things I could do if I won the money. You don't need to be born again to want Jesus to fix your life. We all love the miracles and the signs that God does for us. But you do need to be born again to want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. And that kind of commitment is what Jesus is ultimately looking for. See, the truth is Jesus already knows what you want and why you want it. Jesus knew while he was in Samaria receiving worship that in a few days there would be a man from Capernaum who had a huge need. His son was dying. This man would travel to see Jesus because he had faith that Jesus could heal his son. I think this is why Jesus left where it was all good and nice and easy in Samaria and came back to Cana. See, this man really believed that Jesus could restore the, the health of his son. And you can, you can hear the desperation in his voice, can't you? Sir, come down before my child dies. Please, I'm begging. It's my son. Please help us. It would have been common for this man to give an order and have people immediately executed or they would have faced serious consequences. But here, this man, he has absolutely zero authority over Jesus and it humbles him to his core. Sir, please come down. It's my son. He's going to die. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Go, your son will live. How incredibly gracious is the Lord. Jesus is under no obligation to answer this prayer. He would still be God. He'd still be good, sovereign, wise. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is not obligated to answer any of our prayers. But it pleased Jesus to heal this boy and to allow the dad to see the power of God. But as we have all experienced, there are times where Jesus does not answer our prayers the way we think he should answer. In those moments, it's hard. It's hard to see a good, loving, merciful God. 
in those moments, it's important for us to remember that God is still good, even if he says no to our request. But here Jesus shows tremendous grace, and he heals the son. Now, don't miss the fact that even the sickness and the disease obeys the voice of Jesus. This is amazing. All creation bows down and submits to the authority of the Son of God. I mean, who can just tell a disease to go away and it's just gone? Christ can. Jesus doesn't have to touch the sickness or lay his hands on the child. He, does, um, he didn't have to come down to Capernaum. His power wasn't limited by uh, the, the proximity of the illness. Much like Jesus turned the water into wine, the boy's healing happened immediately. Jesus didn't have to do a follow-up visit or some second treatment. Jesus simply says, go, your son will live. And it happened. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. I want you to think about this encounter and what's going on in light of John's purpose statement that we've read, I think, almost every week from chapter 20, which says this. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the, son, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John recorded these signs, these miracles, so that, so that is showing us purpose. That's what so that means. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. These signs are left so that you may believe. But there is something amazing happening in John 4. We later see that all the mans like his household believe, and it seems like their faith is, believed, is based off the second sign that the boy, you know, that he, was, that he had recovered. But with the official, notice he believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. This is similar to what we um, saw last week with the faith of the Samaritans. If you just look back in verse 41, and many more Samaritans believed because of his word. It wasn't because of the signs, it was because of the word. The official did not need to see miracles and signs in order to believe Jesus. He simply took him at his word. And how do we know from the text that he just believed Jesus at his word? Because in verse 50, it says that he went on his way. Authentic faith always leads to action. We immediately see the fruit of his faith because he went on his way. He trusted Jesus. You cannot say that you have faith or that you believe in Jesus and not obey his word. Faith always leads to action. So this is very important. This man, he, he leaves Cana. Um, and in verse 51, as he was going down, this shows us that he's descending back to Capernaum, his servants met him. So at some point, they come chasing after him. They're like, we need to go tell him that his son is getting better. So 
The servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when, it began to get, when he began to get better. They said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Just like how the testimony of the Samaritan woman led to many Samaritans believing, here we see the exact same thing happening in Capernaum. We see that because of this man's faith, his testimony of Jesus, now this household's all believing. So what do we take away from this passage? What is God trying to communicate to us? First, I think you need to realize that your faith does not impact just your life, but also impacts the lives of others. What if the dad did not have faith? I mean, what if the dad was just too lazy to go to Cana? What would have happened to the son? I, I think about all the lost people in my life. I'm forced to ask myself the question, do I continue to go to Jesus and pray that he would heal them? I think this dad shows us the power of an insistent prayer-filled life. Like, did you notice that Jesus didn't heal the official son on the first ask? But it was after the repeated ask when Jesus says that your son will live. I mean, I'm so bad at this. I would be the worst salesman in the history of sales. I would walk into your office with great enthusiasm. Maybe I really believe in my product. I would describe that product, know it would help your company, and I would walk in there with hopes of making the sale, but the moment you tell me that you're not interested, I'd be like, all right, see you later, thank you. I don't sell it. You know what I mean? That's part of making the, the, the sale. I would not try to persuade or convince you. I would not push my product on you. And I don't know if this is just from past history of comes all the rejection that I've experienced asking out girls over the years. I'm not sure. This may shock you. I'm glad you're all sitting down, but I got rejected a lot. And after getting rejected, I never once tried to persuade or beg that girl to reconsider. I just followed my basketball coach's advice. Just keep shooting the next one, every shot, every miss. You're one shot closer to making one. So I just applied that to dating. Just every rejection, I'm just one closer to finding one that would say yes. We see the persistence of this man here. How he just faithfully just brings, and I, you know, even if Jesus would have said no again, I think he would have still stayed and begged. Jesus, you're a man. I know you can do this. You have power. You need to heal my son. I think he would have stayed and kept begging Jesus. 
We see this type of persistence described in Luke chapter 11. When Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. Directly following the Lord's prayer, Jesus begins to expound a little bit on prayer. In Luke chapter 11, in verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are, in bed, or are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Now, parents with small children, you know this situation all too well. It takes you forever to get your child to go to sleep, and you will do anything to keep from waking that child up, right? I know when Isha's at home sleeping and um, one of our other children are loud and they wake up that baby, they feel the wrath of their mom and dad. And so here's Jesus is telling this, this story. And, you know, this man's coming. He's begging, please, I don't have anything for my friend. Please help me. No way, I'm not getting up. I'm not waking up this, these, these kids. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence or his audacity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if son asks for a fish, will instead, instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You see the importance of just coming and just day after day and just begging, pleading, Lord, please move in this situation. I'll be honest, I'm terrible at this. I just, I pray one time. If the Lord says no, okay, see you later. I'm not going to try to persuade you. I'm going to try to change your mind. How long do you beg the Lord for help? James 4, verse 2 says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your own passions. Because sometimes we just don't have things because we just didn't ask. The Lord wants us to humble ourselves and ask him for help. And I think prayer is a means of that. Prayer will humble you. It forces you to say, I can't do this. I need your help. Not only does this passage teach us about faith and prayer, there's also something beautiful here. This, there's a magnificent picture of the gospel that I don't want you to miss. Here we see a passage where a boy is healed and many of us would say that, that Jesus gave him life, and you would be correct. 
But I, however, would argue that the Father is the one who has really been granted true life in this passage. The fact is, the boy's going to get sick again, and at some point, the son will face death. But not the Father. The Father shall never perish, but he shall have eternal life. He came to Jesus on behalf of his son, but it was the Father. He was the one who was truly healed that day. Notice that the son had absolutely nothing to do with his healing. In love, the father leaves his home and travels hours in order to find Jesus. He begs Jesus to heal his son. The son simply reaps the actions of his father. The same is true for us. We were sick. We were dead in our trespasses. There was no amount of money no place of authority that could cure us from our sickness. So Jesus left his home, came to a foreign land. He perfectly obeyed his heavenly father. On the cross, he died for our sins, was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave where he now continues to rule and reign on his eternal throne. You and I simply reap the actions of the son. The boy didn't contribute anything to the miracle other than being sick. The same is spiritually true for us. We do not contribute anything to the miracle of our salvation other than our sickness. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. Let's pray as the band comes back and leads us in singing this morning. Father, we come to you knowing that, um, that we have a sickness inside us that, um, that can never be cured by man. There's no amount of money and there's no amount of good deeds that we can do to make us better. The only way that we can experience healing, spiritual healing, is through your Son. And so, Lord, we are um, we're coming today just humbling ourselves, knowing that um, we can't do it on our own. We need his help. And so, Lord, we're asking this morning that... Um, that for anyone that would just confess this morning who would humble themselves, admit that they cannot save themselves, they would confess that they're a sinner or we're trusting by your word that you would heal them. Uh, Lord, we're just like the official. Um, we're trusting you at your word that you are that you've given us salvation, that we are being healed day by day, that we are being renewed, restored to one day where we'll be glorified, that there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sin. 
So Lord, this morning, if there's anyone in this room that needs saved, I pray they would cry out to you for help today. They would humble themselves. Lord, I pray that we would be like this official who just keeps begging that you would heal his son. Lord, there's people in our lives who need healed, they need saved. I pray that we would continue to be faithful and keep praying for these people in our lives. Lord, we thank you for your kindness, your mercy, for your grace that even though you didn't have to, you didn't have to heal any, you were not under any obligation to heal any, but you have saved some. So we thank you for your kindness. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.